Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst, and I'm your host for the show and one of the pastors at Life Church. Thank you so much for joining us today. As always, I would love to invite you to subscribe to this podcast if you have not done so already. Also, if um, the work of Life Church has made an impact uh, on your life or on somebody else's life that you might know, go ahead and share this um, this content with them, but also consider prayerfully consider uh, giving to Life Church if you don't already give. Uh, you can do that by going to lifechurchcanton.org slash give, and there's information right there on that page for how your giving actually impacts the lives of real-life people and, and transforms us all as a community. So thank you ahead of time for considering that. Uh, today is another standalone message. We're talking about politics. Um, in case you didn't know we are coming up on an election, or by the time you listen to this, maybe the election will have already passed, but we're, we're asking the question, how do we as followers of Jesus engage with the political process? How do we think about this? Um, how do we interact? Do we interact? And so I want to invite you to listen intently to this, but also uh, we have something called a position paper, and that is available on our now page. Uh, right now. And then uh, later on, it's going to be available in our beliefs section on our website. And um, we're going to be talking about some hot topic issues from time to time. And uh, a lot of people have been curious about where does Life Church stand on these issues. And so uh, that would be the place for that. Uh, but for now, here is Pastor Nathan with a message on politics, peace, justice, and joy. Thank you for joining us online and in person. It's good to see you. Um, there is so much happening right now. Um, my name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors. I just want to remind you of just two quick things. First, partnership ends uh, being able to sign up for it. We sign up every year. So if you were a partner last year, you have to re-up. And every person who wants to be a partner is, if you know, spouses have to sign up, students have to sign up as well, I encourage you to do that. I'll be uh, encouraging you to partner up at the end as well. A reminder, Jared already explained it, but we're in an election, and everyone knows it, and everyone's feeling it, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Before we get to a little bit of my hope for you, I just want to remind you that we have a position paper that's on our website to help bring clarity, a lens to even listen to this message, but to everything that we communicate, as well as a great accountability tool. Today, I'm preaching about politics, and tomorrow night, I encourage every single person online and in person to pray with us as we pray for the unity of our church in the midst of this time. Let's do that together. Finally, uh, we'll have the election, and uh, next Sunday, the three teaching pastors will be up here during the message portion answering questions, which you can submit at any time from now until about Thursday. So we know it's going to be crazy. We don't know what's going to happen, but we want to be there and care for you. And truly, the purpose of what we're doing is to care for our hearts. And I wanted to check in with you right now. I know online a lot of people were able to write in the comments, and, and I wanted to ask this question of you. How are you feeling? How are you feeling? I, just take a mental note of how you're feeling right now. This has been an incredible season. I, I have never experienced more anger. Um, personally, I've had a lot of anger, but in people, just the anger in our society, the fear, the confusion, despair, doubt, 
You know what I'm talking about? You probably felt all of these in the last five minutes. The isolation, right? This is where we're at. In fact, it's being used against us. We're told to be more afraid. I mean, it, it is difficult, and we're doing all of this to care for us in the midst of it. How are you feeling? Last week, we talked about worry. Jared had a wonderful message. If you're struggling with anxiety and worry, you can go back to that, but it, it's, it's weird. But what I'm noticing is something different, not just those things. But I believe our country is in a phase of burnout. You ever heard of burnout? The idea you can get burned out on certain things. I think we're all burned out. And what, what does that word mean? Well, it's a emotional, physical, and mental exhaustion. Anyone actually feel physically tired more than they're used to? I have. Like, there is a burnout factor of our whole country. And it's caused by excessive and prolonged stress. And one of the major contributors is this election the polarity, divisiveness that surrounds it. This politically, it's, it's burning us out. We're tired. We're weary. So how are you feeling? Just check in with yourself right now. You know, you can be here online or in person at any stage, any emotion. How are you feeling? Personally, this has been one of the most difficult seasons for me. I've been so tired, and I've been so confused at times and despairing and angry. So I, I'm right there with you. Very much so. And I want for us to experience something different. In fact, what I want for us this morning is to experience and also participate in peace, justice, and joy. That's what I want for us. That's what Christ gives us, this ability to have peace, to participate in joy, and to experience justice. These are the things that God has for us. But in order to get that, in order to do that, there's some things I need to say to you that are hard. I want you to find in Christ this joy, but I have to bring some hard truths to us as I've been discerning and praying and listening and hearing from God. And, you know, looking at my own heart, I want to share with you a, a voice of prophecy. Now, what I mean by prophecy, a prophetic voice is there's foretelling, right? Uh, something is uh, foretelling. Something's about to happen, right? So, you have prophets who tell you what's going to happen. Um, I'd like to know any prophet who figured out 2020 was going to happen. That would, that would be great. Um, but there's foretelling, meaning calling out what's happening in the moment. And there has been so many prophets in the Bible who've done it. And this moment, this voice is what we need to hear so that we can experience peace, so I want to go back to Isaiah and Jeremiah. And Isaiah, their Old Testament prophets, he's talking about the coming of Christ. And as I read this message, you guys get a little flashback to Christmas messages you may have heard before. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, a son is given. This is the birth of Jesus foretold. And look, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So that peace is what I want for you today, and it comes from Christ. This is a beautiful description. That word government, it means, uh, it's misra, it means domination, uh, dominion. It's an aggressive word. So we're talking about the government that Jesus will bear will be a dominion. That, that's crazy. He's, he's a king. There's something that he's going to bear. It's, it's a beautiful thing, but look at that piece. He says he will be on his shoulders, and the inference here is that he's taking off the weight of governing ourselves and putting it on him and bearing it, and not only being a king, not only being dominant, but also being a wonderful counselor, also being the prince of peace. 
And Jesus is our main provider, and he is our king. It goes on in verse 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. Amen. We, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. And how will he do it? Establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This beautiful picture that God desires to bring us back under him, provide and be king. And he's going to rule with justice and righteousness. Those words are mishpat and tzedakah. We're going to talk about those later, but just put them aside for a moment. But what I want you to know is that God above all else in this moment and in this week and in this season wants you to experience peace. And that comes from recognizing that Jesus is king and provider. Because of Jesus, we have an everlasting kingdom of justice and joy and peace. That's why it says in there, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Now we talked actually last week, just a moment, where it isn't necessarily delivering you from your circumstances all the time, but delivering you from the fear of your circumstances. Only a king can do that. Only someone whose kingdom is eternal can do that. He has the power, the dominion to do that. It also says that my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He's the provider. Jesus is king and provider. And there's nothing to fear when Jesus is your king. But what about today? What happens if Jesus is not the king of your kingdom, the king of your heart? What if he's not truly your provider? So my second question for you today is to really ask this question of yourself. Is Jesus my king and provider? In fact, I ask that every single day in this season. Is God, is Jesus my king and provider? Now, why do I ask it like that? I just told you he is, so why are you asking if he is? Because there's a difference between knowing he is and trusting he is. There's a difference between knowing he is and feeling he is. And that's the difference between knowing of something and feeling the peace that that should bring. And so I have some questions how would you know if he's actually your king and provider in your heart and your mind? Well, what has the most sway over your mental and emotional well-being right now? What are you putting your hope in? If political issues and whether they go your way in a couple of days have more sway over your security and your peace, if what's happening in our world right now is swaying you so differently, and you put so much hope into things being better, then what I would say to you is that your provider, your king isn't God. Your provider isn't God. It's the government and systems around you because they have more sway over your emotions. Your hope in the future is not placed in Christ, but in what's happening around you. In our paper, which I'll read at the end of this, it says no political ideology or system can truly provide lasting peace. That's the truth. And yet the response that I see day in and day out, and honestly, what my heart does when I'm not paying attention to it, is my response to what's happening is anger and fear and manipulation. Because I'm trying to get people to do what I think is best so that I will feel safe and secure. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the definition of idol worship. What do I mean? Idol worship. Wow, you're really throwing that one out there. What's an idol? That's 
you know, that was a long time ago, right? From the very beginning, we as people, as humans, have set our hope in images and stories of gods and powers. They help us feel secure. And idols in the past were carved out of precious metals and wood, and they were gilded with rubies and precious stones, and we used to make offerings to them. Sometimes we even killed our own children and sacrificed them. Why? Because we believed in these things to provide for us, to give us the harvest and hope. And for us, we say, well, that was the past. But from the very beginning, through the Ten Commandments to now, God has been trying to draw us to reliance on him, not on these things of earth. And even now, he's trying to draw us back to him. But where is our heart right now? For some of us, after the election is over, we'll be elated. We'll be like, oh, thank goodness, everything's going to be better. Or, oh my gosh, at least we have a chance. Or, I don't know, I'm not saying who. In fact, I'm intentionally telling you right now that I am not telling you to vote for either party. And if you think I am, you're wrong. I'm trying to tell you what the Word of God is saying. But some of us are going to have very different emotions after this is over. Some of us will be elated. Some of us will be devastated. Most of us will be frustrated and resigned. But our emotions are so wrapped up in what happens next is because we put so much stock into it. Our heart betrays us. Our heart betrays us that we have made politics and the government our idol. It just is. Many have allowed it to happen. It it doesn't happen quickly. It happens over time. We want a talking head to help us understand that everything is okay. We want to trust the union. We want to trust the political party. We want to trust the pastor. We don't want to have to worry about it. We just want to trust in someone. And we have focused on earthly things and ignored our heavenly king and provider. Listen, there is no Christian party. There's no Christian government. There will only be the kingdom of Christ. And to trust the government for lasting peace and justice and joy is to willingly step into worshiping an idol. To put something in the place that only God deserves to be in. And it's happening to every single one of us, little by little. There's a reason he said, you shall have no other gods before me. And how we have to keep relearning that every moment. So my third question to you, and they're not getting easier, are they? They're getting harder Have you let idols take the place of Christ in your heart? Have you? I'm praying that you are provoked by this message, provoked by the Spirit of God. I want that for you. I want you to somewhat be annoyed with me right now. Don't raise your hands, but if you're annoyed with me, it's probably a good thing at this point. Why? Why? Because the government provides nothing for you. It's not just idol worship. It's actually bad for you. Jeremiah, he's a prophet, and he talks about this. The next prophet I want to talk about, he talks about the idea of idols. Listen, it'll just be in just your ears, so just listen to this. This is in Jeremiah 11. Then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry to the gods to whom they make offerings. They cannot save them in their time of trouble. For your God has become as many as your cities, O Judah, and as many streets And Jerusalem are the altars you have set up to shame, altars to make offerings to Baal. We have put our hope into so many things, whether it's our bank account or it's our work or it's our political party. We have put our hope and trust in them, and we are reaping that now. But here's the thing. They also can't do anything for you. These hopes, they will fail you. I mean, we all know that politics fail us, but we don't want to believe that it'll happen. We want to see it change, but they will continue to fail you. So you will never experience the peace that God wants for you 
if he is not first in your heart. So I want you today, more than anything else, to experience peace. And we do that by worshiping Jesus as our provider and king. When we get up here and we sing and we raise our hands and we sing alleluia, alleluia, it isn't just about making God's name great. In fact, that is the main purpose, but it also reminds us of who he is. It helps us refocus on it. We need to repent of our idol worship and worship Jesus instead. This is what you're looking for. If you're looking to be at peace, this is where you will find it. It's in worship. Look, most of you, we're burning out anyways. Let go, let go of control and seek God out. And there's the prayer I'd like you to pray. You might need to pray that twice a day for the rest of this week. But this is the prayer. Jesus, I turn away from the government as the provider of my peace and turn back to my king. If we can do this, if we can do this, you're ready for what God has to say to you next, the hope that he has. Jeremiah, he's speaking to God's people, and he's a prophet. He's saying what's going to happen. In fact, he's telling them what's about to happen to them. They're the people of God set aside, set aside for something great, and they lived on their own, but then they went into exile because they weren't paying attention to God, and they went into a city called Babylon, and Babylon was a place full of idols, full of sin, it was a broken place, and that's where Jeremiah 29, 11, the most memorized scripture verse in all of the world is, and this is what it says. Behold, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This is where we find 29, 11. Here's the thing. He just told them that they're going to be in exile for 70 years. He just told them that this promise wasn't for them. It wasn't even for their children. It was for their grandchildren. So we like to think that God is going to save us from this moment. This is another sermon for another time. But he goes on and says, so go to Babylon. And though you used to be separate, now you need to live here. You need to marry into the city. You've got to marry people who believe things that are different than you. You've got to bring them in the faith. This is something they've never had to do before. It's, it's weird. So this is the plans. Jeremiah 29, 7. Here's what he says. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which you have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Marry, be a part of it, get into it. Live for the welfare of this Babylon, this sinful place, these myths, truths, and idols about God. And this is more perfect for us than we can possibly imagine. See, we live in America, and it looks far more like Babylon than Jesus' kingdom. And I've talked about that before, and I'll argue with you. Just trust me on that. It doesn't look like the kingdom of God. It looks more like Babylon every single day. And yet we are called into this place to live for it, to love it, to see that it prospers. We cannot run away. We cannot check out. We cannot hide. This is what we have been called to do. We have a responsibility. This is an incredibly difficult task. You're going to live in the community and marry into the community, but not become the community. This is the church. We have such a hard task. We can't just stay in this room and just learn our things and stay here. We have to love people. This is what we're called to do. We have to seek the good of the community. So then what then is our role in politics, in our city and world? What, what is our role? And it's very clear what God tells us to do. It says, do justice. We are commanded to participate in God's justice. God's justice is big. We're going to talk about it. I talked about Zedekah 
and mishpat. That's righteousness and justice. Do what is right. Do what is just. This is our call. And as Christians, this is who we have to be in this next season to do justice. Now, what is this word tzedakah? It's righteousness. Righteousness. Be righteousness in the midst of unrighteousness. And what we know is that any government besides God's government is flawed, and so there's brokenness that continues to go on. So what does righteousness mean? Righteousness is an ethical standard that refers to a right relationship between people, meaning to be righteous is to treat people as if they are made in the image of God because they are. That's what it means to be set apart, to live in community as if we are God's people. So to be righteous, we must do that in a entire, you know, world of people who don't believe in that. So we understand that, right? Treating people as the children of God. I mean, our Facebook might not show that, but we understand that. What is this word mishpat, though? Daniel talked about justice, but this is, this is a beautiful thing. Mishpat, justice. What does justice mean to you? Well, according to God's word, it means seeking out vulnerable people who have been taking advantage of and restoring them. It means changing social structures to prevent injustice. Another word that we like to talk about with justice is equality. In American equality is the idea that everyone should have an equal shot. That if you work hard enough, you can achieve almost anything. And some of us hold this up as more important than what anything else in our world. This is what makes America great. This is a beautiful thing. Like, right? We say that this is so good. And we argue about whether it's really equal or not, if there are systems that predispose people to, to not have an equal shot. And, and that's where we stay in the argument. And that's the argument we're having over and over and over again. And I'm not saying which it is right now, very clearly. I'm telling you that that argument is not even half of the problem. In fact, it's just a small piece on the bottom of what God is trying to do, and that's his justice, and it's bigger, and it's greater, and it's more. See, mishpat doesn't mean everyone getting an equal shot. This justice of God means that everything belongs to everyone else. And what that means is if you have power, if you have influence, if you have more, anything more, your job is to use that to raise up people to the place where they reflect the image of God. Your stuff doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God, and God is in a redeeming work. And so to live for the welfare of the city is to take any influence that you have and then take those who have less, those who are oppressed, and to lift them up. That is what it means to do justice. It isn't about ensuring an equal playing field. It's about lifting up those who are hurting. It's more. It's justice to lift up the foreigner and the sojourner, the widow, the unborn, the oppressed, the vulnerable. Jeremiah 22, 3 says it this way. This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. It's a clear call to do justice. We don't get to check out. My fourth question Will I use my voice and power for justice? Proverbs says, open your mouth for those who cannot speak for themselves. That's your voice. And that can mean a vote, but it's a whole lot more than that. But it's not just how you vote or what you say. It's what you do. 
Whatever you do, it must be God's justice. Mishpat, it must lift people up. And there's so many groups in our country that need this kind of justice. Throw out the word justice you may know before. I'm talking about what God is saying. Like, we need this. We don't get to be silent. So whatever power, influence, or voice we have, we must use it to speak up and to live for the people who are made in the image of God. Listen to what I am saying. Every decision you make, vote or not, has to be on God's justice. And this is how the kingdom changes. No candidate represents God's justice because they are concerned with worldly things and worldly power structures and worldly politics. It is our responsibility to live in the day-to-day and the vote to stand for what is right and what is good in God's eyes. We must discern what that is. We have to lift our voices. And this is what I love about this. Students, you may not be able to vote yet, but you have influence. You have creativity. You will find ways to seek God's justice in ways that I can't and older people can't. You will be able to see the path forward. You can lead us into the future. And why am I so confident about this? Because it's what Jesus did for us. See, we didn't deserve it. There was nothing we could have done. And yet Jesus came, died for us, and grabbed us and lifted us up and showed us the image of God. Showed us who we could be. And said, now it's your turn to do the same thing. This power compels us to seek righteousness and justice for others. One of my favorite verses right now, because it's just so clear, is Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Not suggest. What does he require of you? To act justly. To love mercy. And this one, walk humbly with your God. This one, this one's hard. I want us to unite as one body, and it'll take humility. That's how relationship starts, with humility. It will take removing the idol of government for sure. We're going to have to do that, but it also means humbling ourselves. But the problem is we really like to be right. Who in here, raise your hand if you don't like being right. Raise your hand if you don't like being right. Okay, now I tricked you because I'm going to have everybody raise their hand who likes being right. And now you have just told me that's everybody. So who likes being right? We love being right. Not only that, we can't possibly handle it if we're wrong. See, we're concerned with being right. No, we're not really concerned with righteousness, just being right. In fact, we don't want to be righteous. We want to be right. What do I mean? I'd rather prove you wrong than treat you in a way that raises you up that encourages you. We'd rather be right than we would be righteous. It's so clear to me that we have gotten this so messed up. So much political posts have been about pride, about being right, about having an audience. I'm convinced that no one was convinced that they were wrong by anything ever put on Facebook. And yet, what do we do? I'm right. I'm right. This is how wrong you are. This is how wrong you are. This is what we do. We want to be right. We don't want to have right relationship. And that is crushing us, 
Church, it's crushing us. Do you know the world looks at us and mocks God because we are so divisive? Did you realize that? The weight of that? Don't you dare infer I might be wrong. Let me ask you a question. What do you lose if you're wrong? Like, really, what do you lose if you're wrong? See, what, what, what is so, like, important about you being right? My question is, can I admit I might be wrong? I mean, i got to ask this question of myself every single day. And I'm asking you to ask that. Can I admit I might be wrong? Zedekah. Righteousness is treating people as if they are made in the image of God, not convincing them that your limited perception is better than their limited perception, but saying God's perception is so much bigger than all of this. We can just hope to someday understand a portion of how right he is, and yet we get to be called righteous. But if we're not humble, we can't have fellowship. Do you know what the idol of pride is? Like, we have to get rid of pride. We have to remove it, right? I'm going to tell you about that in just a moment. Pride is getting in the way. It's the opposite of humility. Do you know what pride is? It isn't the idol of being right, really. What it is, it, it, it is, it's actually being God. Pride is being God. Pride is saying, I always know what is right. There's only one person who knows what's right all the time, and that's God. Pride is saying, I'm more important than anybody else. And in fact, I'm more important than having a good relationship with someone else because they must also agree that I am God. Pride. You see why it gets in the way of our church? Because how can we worship God when we're worshiping ourselves? And let's put it another way. You don't think of it that way, right? You're like, well, no, that's not what's happening. Your identity is now tied to whether you rightly understand the world. That is not humble, and that doesn't allow God to transform you. I could go on and on and on, but today I want you to know that repenting of pride, giving it up, has so much, so much amazing benefits. One, it puts you in the right relationship with God, which is all that should matter. But we need to repent of our pride so that we can experience something better. See, we experience joy when we repent of pride. When we refuse to participate because we want to prove a point, that's about pride. When we withhold to prove a point, it's about pride. But when we lay that down, we get to experience joy. So instead of being right all the time, you can experience joy because we are united together. And the world sees joy because only in the church could you be united. That's why we're going to pray. We're going to pray together and show the world that even though people are going to go out and vote for different people and we don't agree with them, we are united by something that is bigger and greater. But it means that you have to remove the idol of pride. I do too. This one's a hard one for me, so I know it's hard for you. I do. This is difficult. But here's the prayer. And you need to pray this probably every day. Forgive me for thinking that being right is more important than righteousness. Forgive me. Humble yourself before God. And then we get to experience joy as we unite the body of Christ. Because we treat each other as images of God, we get to interact with each other in a brand new way. This is what we get to do. I want to be clear about something. If we get through this election as a church, which we will, we are the body of Christ before, we'll be the body of Christ after. But people are concerned with whether we are a liberal church or a conservative church. If we get through this and we are a liberal church or we are a conservative church, I have failed. Because we are Christ's church. 
And I, I love the idea of a third way, but I don't even like using that all the time, right? Because what we think in our mind isn't a third way. We think a third party. We think, oh, I don't like the Republicans. I don't like the Democrats. And then, you know, there's a bunch of them out there. If we could just have one in the middle. And again, we're thinking human thoughts. We're thinking human ways. We're like, you know what we need? We need a third party. That would really reflect Christ. No, he's above all things. And so we're struggling because we're trying to parse and do calculus with how we figure out how to vote and all this. And what we have forgotten to realize is that God is above all of it and we should be critiquing our government instead of trying to find a way to make it look like a kingdom that only will come through Christ. We're struggling. You feel it. I'm feeling it. I'm so frustrated. I know you are. But a third party rise above it and see that God is sovereign. And yet we have to live in the reality of where we're at. And we have to participate where we are. So we have to think about it in a new way. That is where joy comes from. Not having to live in pride. Not having to have everything tied up in what a policy happens next or who's flying an Air Force One. That is the beauty and the joy of Christ. And that outlasts everything. So we have to call out our idol worship of the government for our provision that can only be found in Christ. We have to, in everything we do, see our power and influence and privilege belonging not to us, but to the kingdom of God and what he wants to do in our community, to lift people up, to do mishpat justice, God's justice, and then find our identity not in being right, but how we extend righteousness to others because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And this is one of the hardest things we'll ever do. But we get to do this. This is a beautiful thing. This will produce that peace, that justice, that joy that all of us want. This is what our hearts are dying for, burning out, full of rage and despair. This is what you want. But it comes on giving up some things. We get to do this. This is incredible. The world will rejoice if the church figures this out. Our communities will be transformed if the church figures this out. This is shalom. This is the peace of God. Living in Babylon, but living for the welfare of it. Pursuing the justice of God. This is beautiful. I'm going to give you some strong action steps because we got to change the way we think. But before that, I would like to read to you the paper. And my hope is that you have now heard my heart, you've heard now our heart as a leadership team in a church, and this is our position. You can listen to it or follow online. It's the first announcement on the now page. We live in an age where political divisions are rampant in our society. Unfortunately, these divisions are also present in our churches. And history and experience has proven that no political ideology or system can provide lasting peace, justice, and joy because of the inherent flaw in humanity. Well, based on God's word, we know that only Jesus can provide these lasting pieces, just and joy. Peace, justice, and joy. So as followers of Jesus Christ, we are commanded to take a biblical approach to all of life, and that includes politics. Considering this, what should our role in the current political system and climate be? Life Church Canton believes that our true king and leader is Jesus the Christ. He is our ultimate hope to bring salvation to all of those who profess in him as Lord. He is the Messiah that brings peace and justice, forgiveness and healing, hope and love. 
We do not and will not subscribe and promote any political ideology or system because any government that has or ever will exist is flawed and imperfect except the kingdom of God. When the government fails to provide the peace, justice, and joy we desire, we should not be surprised. Rather, we should remember that this is in keeping with the flawed nature of human government and that Jesus prepared us for this reality. So our obedience is to Jesus and his word. His word clearly commands us to seek and promote the welfare of our city, state, country, and world. Welfare is the word shalom. And it means seeking and promoting the peace and well-being and the restoration of all people. As such, we participate in our political process out of obedience to God and in a manner that is in keeping with his values. Additionally, and this is the hard part. Listen in, guys. This is for me as much as it is for us. We are commanded to participate in a way that is also shalom, devoid of pride and anger. In all our interactions, even in regards to politics, we should do so in a way that is loving and promotes peace. As Christians, our role in our political system is to promote peace, justice, and joy by standing for kingdom values as citizens of our country and subjects of the kingdom of God. Our hope is that you understand our heart for you, but we want you to experience peace and joy, to do justice, and that's what I wanted for you this morning. So as we finish, I'm going to give you some action steps, and then I want to share a song with you um, that's pretty incredible. So I want you to unite as the body of Christ, which means you need to repent of idol worship. Some of us have to check ourselves. If we start to hear, feel our heart leaning towards government, we have to check ourselves. Second, we have to use our voice and our actions for justice. We don't get a pass. We've got to figure out how, and we've got to do it. Third, we have to repent of our pride so that we can have humility and so that we can unite as the body of Christ. How we unite as the body of Christ? Start by coming tomorrow night, praying together, praying with people who are going to vote different than you and saying Jesus is bigger than all of this, asking for God's intervention and for him to heal our hearts and to restore the body of Christ. Second, submit questions. We put a paper out. I just preached a message then the election's going to happen, and who knows what's going to happen. Next Sunday, we want to answer your questions about how you're doing emotionally or thoughts that you have or, or clarifications. We, the three teaching pastors, want to do that so that we can have a dialogue with you and to help care for your heart in this difficult time. And then third, you can do it by becoming a partner. I mean it, by joining with us, by becoming a partner and living into the commitments that go with our code. Now, whether you become a partner or not, you belong here you can live into any part of it, but I believe that partners are the ones who are going to be able to lock arms and move forward together. So I encourage you to do that, and if you're struggling to do that, our life journey is an incredible process to help you grow in your ability, but also connect you to people. I want to finish with a song, and it's a little bit different. This song is one um, that has some lyrics that are not quite what we're used to as Christians. We're just not. And I was uh, listening to it as part of my prayer time. And then uh, David ran into my office, just like he ran onto stage. And he goes, what song is that? And I said, well, this is the song. And he's like, he's like, we're doing that Sunday. And so that's why we're doing it. But I want to read it. But it's also amazing and beautiful. And it talks about our pride. It talks about God, allowing God to control 
the way we interact and love each other. But it also talks about this joy. I want you to experience joy because burnout and rage and anger and despair isn't going to get you through all this, but joy will. Joy will make you strong in the midst of great suffering, and joy will show the world that God is beautiful. One of the lyrics that you're going to hear in a moment, uh, you'll be able to sit, listen, and then David will ask you to stand and sing with us. This is it. Oh, the joy to be, the joy to know. It's when I decrease, you fill up my soul. What a joy to see, a joy to hold. It's when you increase, I want nothing more. My heart for you in politics and all of life is that Jesus increases in your heart and that joy comes out. Let's worship God in this moment. Let's allow him to work on us as we experience his presence.